Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and this is my co-host Morgan. Hello. And this week we also have a cool special guest, Mallory Ortberg, co-founder of The Toast, and she has a book coming out called The Merry Spinster. Hi Mallory. Hi you guys. Okay, so this week, the reason why we have Mallory on is because she is like the world's premier American Vandal fan. If you follow her on Twitter, you've probably seen that she's very into American Vandal, which is the show we're discussing this week. Um, It's a new Netflix series, which was kind of a slow burner. It came out a month ago and it's gradually kind of gaining fan followings because it's genius. It's a mockumentary series in the style of true crime shows like Serial and it investigates the mystery of who drew 27 dicks on 27 cars in a high school parking lot. The teachers blame the crime on a teen prankster named Dylan Maxwell and it's like this amazing combination of dick jokes and like a genuinely compelling crime drama in this very sort of po-faced style with a teen documentarian from the high school kind of TV channel. So Mallory, why did you fall in love with this show? Because I feel like you've now introduced this to quite a lot of people online who are like, oh. I'm now obsessed with this crime drama. Yeah, no, I mean, like, my Twitter handle right now is just American Spandle, which, <laughs> like, tells you where I'm at. I, I have been, like, preparing my whole life for this show. Like, this is something, I didn't know how badly I needed it. It was like, I didn't even know I was lost in the desert and dying of thirst until I found the oasis that was American <laughs> So I cannot possibly oversell or overhype this. Because, like, I feel like Netflix puts out, like, a million shows a year now. And I think this is one of the ones they just didn't really promote. Because there wasn't much coverage of it when it came out. And then it sort of gently began to appear through word of mouth. Which I guess is ideal from their perspective, but... Yeah, I guess they just were too busy promoting, like, Ashton Kutcher's The Ranch or something. Uh, But yeah, no, I had not heard at all about it. If I had seen it pop up in my Netflix queue, I'm sure I would have thought it was just, like, a straightforward... Yeah. Like investigation about vandalism and would not have been especially interested. Yeah, I mean, I, they released David Fincher's new crime drama, which is an overly serious rip-off of Hannibal, essentially, is what I can tell, um, which I'm not watching, but Morgan managed to watch like 10 minutes of. And it's just like, I feel like everyone who's getting all this attention towards David Fincher's crime drama should maybe just nudge that over to the show that's all about dicks. Because it's so good. It has like, for listeners who haven't watched it, the genius of this show is that it takes the material completely seriously. So they have, like, the kid who's making the documentary is this, this, like, nerd who's making a really serious documentary, like, making a murderer. But they'll have, like, reconstructions and many investigations within this. So it actually works as a crime drama in its own right. Like, we won't discuss the ending until the end of the podcast, so we kind of preserve you from spoilers. But it has things like, 3D animated reconstructions of like how a hand job might have happened, which is like one of the best moments in the show. <laughs> no, and it's it's so good. You're right. Like the technical aspect of it is so good. If anyone is out there right now working on any sort of straightforward true crime investigation, like you would have to go back and throw 
genre. Yeah, it's kind of like um, there there's this one like really amazing musician biopic, fake biopic that Morgan and I watched. What is it? Um, Walk, Walk hard. hard. Yeah. Walk so like, hard. have you seen Walk Hard? Walk hard. Okay, so I love that movie because it's like once you've seen that, literally no other biopic can function anymore. It's just perfect. Yeah, we watched that together, as I recall, a few yeah. years ago, and it was it was like the scales would come off your eyes, and you think, "Oh my god, <laughs> all of the tropes have been revealed." But what I liked about this in particular, and like I'm not, I enjoy reading through crime. I would say more than watching it. I've watched some and like I listen to serial but it's not my main thing but someone tweeted me asking like if I really love true crime can I watch this or will it ruin it for me forever and I sort of thought like maybe Maybe but but it's done in a really loving way like it's because it's genuinely compelling in its own right it's not like this is really stupid right like it is a parody but you get so invested in it that by the end you're like I must know who did this and not like this is all really dumb. Like, And you get really emotionally attached is the thing. Dylan Maxwell's like, clearly you're meant to laugh at him. Like he's this teen burnout who's just got this stupid prank channel where it's like the world's dumbest teen pranks where he's like farting on babies and stuff. And he is like, the actor who plays him is such a wonderful kind of like meathead guy. Like he's so good at playing that character. But at the same time, like when they introduce his girlfriend and he's went to his girlfriend, I was like, I'm so invested. <laughs> so Like you really love your girlfriend. <laughs> He was in, um, he hasn't been in a ton. He was in 22 Jump Street, which is a movie that I've seen way more times. Oh my god. I, I Okay, well, I never would have recognized him, but I do like that movie. Yeah. He was the best friend of Kurt Russell's kid, the guy that Channing Tatum had a clearly almost romantic subplot with, and then at the very last minute, they, but his friend, the guy with the red and herring tattoo. Yes. I, I do remember that, that, Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I have, like, extensive research the background now of everyone who's on this show <laughs> and that was such a genius move too right is that like most of the people they cast have very limited experience They've- yeah i mean i definitely didn't recognize anyone on there and also like all the teens like obviously dylan looks i mean he yeah. looks like a college student but there's always like some kid who looks like that in school and then yeah. peter the documentary guy is like a perfect nerd yeah, and him and, like, Sam Eklund and, like, a bunch of the kids who just give, like, their opinions in the talking head sequences, they genuinely look and sound like high school sophomores and juniors, which you almost never see. Um, and then there's also just, like, the added element of, like, you don't know any of them from other work, but you recognize everyone that you see on the screen, right? Like, yeah, one of the members of the Wayback Boys is a girl named Gange. It's yes. just so beautiful. <laughs> like, you went to high school with that girl. You know that girl. She's never on TV. No one ever shows her in, like, television representations of high school, but she was there and she was great. I loved Gunge. I think she was actually my favorite character. Like, she was background really character. Good. Well, what I liked so much about it was that they were there were clearly cliques in the school, right? So, like, the Wayback Boys obviously have their little thing, and then you can tell that some of the other kids are spending time together, and you don't see, you don't see that much of that many people, but it's not clicky in the sort of um, teen movie trope way where they're literally never interacting with each other because that's not how high school works. Like all of these people know all of each other's business all the time because they presumably have known each other since they were like five, most of them. And that's what high school is like. Like 
my high school was really big. It wasn't like I knew literally everyone, but like I knew who they all were and gossip spread about everybody. And that's what you're obsessed with talking about. It's like who's sleeping with who and like all this stuff that's going on. Just even like banal bits of everyone's business. That's the obsessive thing. I and love that they called everyone by both their names. Which was like yes. such a great touch. It's like it's never like, oh, what did Sarah do? It's always like, what did like Sarah? I hear the like Sarah Pearson, and it's like consistently all by the double names, which is something I also really liked in Stranger Things because it's always like Steve Harrington, and I'm like, that is the ultimate jock name. Is when it's like someone has two names and it's Steve Harrington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you're so right too. Where like both a crime procedural and a high school life are obsessed details and various interactions and like charting when can this person be trusted like yeah no I was like I kept thinking of uh of Veronica Mars because like obviously Veronica Mars is amazing but I feel like also if I rewatched a Mar- Veronica Mars after this I would be like does Veronica Mars even work as well now I never watched that oh okay so I, I guess can't I assumed. contribute oh well Veronica <laughs> Mars is lovely um but it's like it's in like a noir style where they have the voiceover and I think the voiceover is key because in like in American Vandal, the voiceover is just like so po-faced and taking everything absolutely seriously. And the only person who's not taking it seriously is like Peter's like partner, Sam Eckland. Cause like he'll be doing like he does like the hot mom investigation where he's like, you know, investigating which like mom is the hottest. And I'm just like, he's a genius. <laughs> Meanwhile, Peter's like driving for a Pulitzer. <laughs> That's what's great about the show too, right? Is like that's so true that like high school like investigative journalists they take all those things incredibly seriously. And it's not that Sam thinks what they're doing is stupid. He just genuinely thinks it's as important to catalog everybody's hot mom. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they treat everything with the same seriousness. Like, did Alex Trimble really get a handjob from Sarah Pearson? We went to the docs to investigate. Like, I, I remember being in high school and, like, that was the same intensity and focus you would bring to dissecting rumors. Like, you would genuinely talk endlessly for hours. Like, could it really have happened that way? I want to, because I don't really know much about the creation of the show, because it's kind of made by people that people haven't heard of, but I'd love to know if they had teen consultants or if the showrunners have, like, teenage siblings or something, because it feels like so much of it is really well observed. Like, I mean, I guess there's some details where you can just research it, but stuff like The Hay with Two Wise, when The Hay came on with Two Wise, I was like, <laughs> she would never write The Hay with Two Wise. <laughs> yeah, the social media stuff I thought was one of the most impressive things on a more like technical level. I can't think of anything I have ever seen that more definitely integrates how social media actually functions, especially with like the young people. I have a brother who's 20 now and it's, it's a different world. I'm on social media all the time. And yet I look at him and I'm like, what are you? (laughs) Like, what are you people doing on the internet? Like, it's not the same. And yet like all of these kids are online all the time, like all the Snapchat stuff and then bringing all of that in and putting it on screen and actually having it relevant to the plot worked so well. And I can't, I genuinely can't think of anything that I've seen that comes even remotely close. There's literally only one show and it's, it's called Scam. 
It's a Norwegian teen drama. Scam is the Norwegian word for shame. And it's kind of in the same vein as Skins. Like, it's a very serious drama that deals with a lot of, like, issues. Um, but it's, like, the only show that actually functions in social media. And they also, also marketed it really well. They, like, intentionally never advertised it at all. They didn't allow any of the actors to do promo. And it just, like, got social media buzz from teens watching it. And, like, a lot of the story comes out on social media as well, kind of in real time. This is kind of the the funny equivalent of that, where they actually just understand how the internet works. Except this one issue, which I'm wondering if you'll agree with us, Mallory, but like Morgan and I both wished that it was released, it was released like one episode per day instead of doing the whole Netflix binge watch thing. Because they even have like a show within a show part where they're kind of talking about how the show has an audience and like people are investigating the crime from the audience kind of like serial. But it's like, maybe you shouldn't have released it all at once then, you dummies. Yeah, I, I mean, by that, I don't know that that was like my first response, but I get it. Yeah, I think I would have, if they had parceled it out like an episode of the day, I would have been even more on Twitter screaming. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I binged it in like under 24 hours, I think. I was completely transfixed. But the second that... Oh, yeah. So he's putting the show up online and then at a certain point the school starts watching it and then it sort of blows up. And I, and then like they get obsessed with trying to figure it out. And I was thinking about Serial, which I, I think the first season of Serial, I started listening maybe two thirds the way through because I was sick and literally just lay in bed and listened to like nine hours of it in a row and then was listening to the rest of it. But that was obviously what happened with that podcast. And that's what they're kind of referencing. And I kept thinking like, if this had been released one a week and had picked up steam which it probably would have that's exactly what would have been happening on twitter as though it were a real thing and not i think it would have had a bigger audience yeah and i just like the idea of being on twitter with everyone obsessing over who drew the dicks is really entertaining to me (laughs) like we can't go back and change the past but i think it would have been kind of I mean, I think one of my favourite moments in the whole show is literally just one of the crime-solving moments, which is when they realise that, like, the dicks that are drawn on the cars don't have ball hairs, and, like, the dicks (laughs) that Dylan Maxwell draws do have ball hairs, and then there's, like, it was, like, a handwriting analysis of the different styles of, like, dick graffiti around the school, and it's just like, this is perfect. Whoever thought this up is an absolute genius. And the idea of being able to, like, have fan clues about that as it was airing would be amazing. Even though, like, I'm an idiot, so I rarely work out who's the murderer in a crime drama, unless it's, like, a narrative thing rather than it being the actual crime clues. Well, in this one, without giving it away, it's a bit like an Agatha Christie book where you actually can't. I mean, I've only watched it once, so maybe I'm wrong, but it's not really set up for you to figure it out, I don't think. No. No, No, I mean, there's, like, a handful of clues that feel like, oh, you could get a theory going, but no, like I've rewatched it now four or five times and I have not like, I have yet to see a smoking gun until they get to the point where they're figuring it out. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I don't think the pleasure of the show is really actually about the solution, which is maybe the only weakness I would find in it, which I think is kind of an inevitable thing as with most mysteries is that the, pleasure of trying to work it out is always more fun than when it's yeah. revealed at the end. Like, it's never satisfying because the possibilities are always so much more entertaining and watching them try to do it is what's actually enjoyable, not like the ultimate 
resolution, but I didn't actually care. <laughs> I was like, this is fine. Like, yeah. whatever. I'm more like invested <laughs> in, in the teenagers' like emotional lives because they do do it so well because they will just turn on a dime. There was one point where there was like a really serious, like intense emotional scene and then like two seconds later there's just this dumb joke where Dylan Maxwell is doing like a trick handshake with his lawyer before going to trial and it's just like it's amazing. The sheer range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the line the show would always walk, right? Like, I think I've heard people talk about how it pivots to a more, like, poignant or emotionally affecting ending. And I understand where people get that idea, but I also feel like it's affecting and emotional from jump. Um, yeah. Like, in the very first episode when Dylan is sort of sadly cataloging all the different visions of his future... It's sad when he's like, I was going to go to Boulder, get my degree in engineering or some shit, and then move up north and work at a snowboard shop. Like, because he doesn't know what college is for. Right. Um, and, like, he genuinely, like, you do not have to get an engineering degree to work or get a snowboard shop. Um, and then when he's like, oh, Mackenzie's going to go to college and leave me. And, but his, the saddest thing he can think of about that is that he'll have to jerk himself off. And then he's like, honestly, she'll probably just break up with me. But the, the most emotion he can work up is, I'll still have to jerk myself off. So either way, I end up having to jerk myself off. So there's just always that, like, real poignancy, real inability to, you know, investigate and interrogate his own emotions, and also just, like, the poignancy of the dick, right? Like, <laughs> I'm to have to jerk myself off. I hope that you get to write one of those um, TV analysis books, like Matt Zoller-Sites wrote one about Mad Men or something, and you write a book about American Vandal called The Poignancy of the Dick. <laughs> Sounds like a PhD thesis title, frankly. Was, <laughs> please, someone sign that book for me. There's that <laughs> so was Dylan your favourite character? Who was your favourite? Oh, man. Um, I, I don't think I could say that Dylan was my favourite character, although I certainly had a ton of feelings about him and, and, you know, which clearly the show wants you to. He was a remarkable example of the type of person he is. Um, <laughs> That's true. Let me, let, let me think of a few, like, I, I think the kid who played Alex Tromboli is a genius. He yes. nailed it. Um, I did not, obviously, I did not love Alex Tromboli, but he was remarkably good. Um, I think I have a real soft spot in my heart for real soft spot. I love Peter. I love his mannerisms, his nerdy. Yeah, and he's always trying so hard to have like a journalism face on. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to just not smile or give too much away. He's working so hard on having a neutral face. Um, Dylan's mother, uh, who doesn't get a lot of screen time, but almost every time she's on screen is having some version of a nervous breakdown. She is like, yes. I love her. And, and I gotta go with Kraz. Uh, I know that he definitely goes a little wide than a lot of the other characters in the show. He definitely, everybody seems like the most like, okay, we're in a funny movie. I'm going to be a goofball. Um, yeah. But he's also, like that, I love that what they did with that character was all the students are pretty clear on the fact that he is not, in fact, a cool teacher. That his attempts to seem really cool are embarrassing for him. Um, and they actually don't want to hang out with him. Yeah. And then he gets fired. And then he gets fired. There's like an episode of My Brother and My Brother and Me, like the TV version, where they like go to a high school and try to be cool with teens, but like they're aware that they're not cool. So they're doing all this stuff that's like a parody of being a cool teacher, like sitting backwards on a chair and being like, let's talk about drugs. <laughs> right. And like, I'm not going to take your phone. Don't look at me for an entire, like everything about that was just pitch perfect. And in reality, they all just love the Spanish teacher who's really nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I also loved Mac. I loved Mac. I, I wanted to see more of Mac. 
female dirtbags on TV, so both her and Ganj felt really important and meaningful to see. And just, like, everything about her gaming, her Twitch account, um, her mannerisms, like, the shots we see of her room. I just, I would watch a whole show just about her. Yeah. Like, at first, I was really concerned that she was going to be kind of a, the bitch, like, I guess. Right. Which she kind of is, is, like, the point. But also, it's like they give her this amazing, like, emotional backstory. And, like, in her final interview, I was, like, actually always tearing up. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, without giving too much away, there is a point where in one of the last episodes, um, there's a reveal that involves something about her that is vulnerable, that is intimate, um, and that, like, has a lot to do with just... Okay, yeah, we lost your audio for a while there, so we only Good. got... <laughs> Good. It was a bunch of bullshit. It was a bunch of bullshit anyway. It's visible. It's all skippable. It's a pity, because, like, you know, we obviously do want all of the American Vandal content from you. Okay, I think we should talk about the ending now. I think we can kind of go into spoilers. Yeah. Yes. So if you don't want to know the conclusion, then stop now and go and do something extra exciting worthwhile, like watch all of American Vandal and then give us a positive review on iTunes. <laughs> but uh yeah so like the ending they don't fully say who it is like i think it's relatively clear that krista is the one who did it but at the same time they kind of go through how it could be a bunch of people and then the conclusion is you shouldn't make assumptions about people because it's a high school drama so they're all like yeah you know like don't have your like life set out before you by like people's rumors and then obviously then dylan maxwell literally just does that and it's really upsetting so yep no that was Dylan, what Dylan ends up doing, that's so beautiful and devastating because you want so much for Dylan to be okay. Um, I think yeah. if you are watching this show, you want so much for Dylan to go to college, get his shit a little bit together, um, and he doesn't. He's exonerated for the original crime, and then uh, they don't ever like pin it on somebody else officially. Uh, and then he watches the documentary and realizes that everyone still thought of him as an idiot burnout. Um, and so he just gives up, commits further vandalism, and, and you know, loses his chance to go to college. Um, and it's, it, it just kills you. It just kills you because it feels like you wanted so much to believe, um, like you identify with him so much, right? Because, like, the standard for identifying with a guy like that is so low. Yeah. And also it's like kind of the ultimate tragedy is always when someone fucks stuff up for themselves. You know, there is tension in any kind of crime drama when it's like, oh, we've got to kind of refute the clues and that sort of thing. And then the fact that it's him who eventually does it to himself is just like, no. (laughs) And so believable as well, because it's exactly the kind of thing that happens like in this kind of scenario with teenagers, especially. So we're kind of going to wrap up now. Um, unfortunately, because we had some technical difficulties uh, recording this podcast, we've actually lost Mallory for the last section, <laughs> which is very unfortunate because she had some really great things to say about the show, which we couldn't record because Skype stopped working. Um, so we're going to kind of round up in a conclusion and send a fond farewell to Mallory, who has now dropped off the call and we cannot regain her on Skype. Um, and then uh, lead into next week. So we'll let you know. So I don't know, Morgan, do you have any kind of final thoughts on the wonders of American Vandal? I mean, there are so many. Um, 
yeah, I, I, it was just such a pleasure to watch. I think like it was genuine, genuinely so enjoyable. Which sincere, uh, yes, very sincere, but not in the parks and rec sense. It was just very sincere with its subject matter. Yeah, uh, and I found that very refreshing. I think in the midst of the current horrors of the world, mm. like there was something really, and I think that's probably why it's become such an immediate like cult hit. And also the fact that it's like it's very much bro humor, and there's loads of really dumb jokes in it along with the really smart stuff, but it's not sexist, which is an extremely yes. rare line to draw and that's why i think like mallory's comparison with with 22 jump street is another really good one because i mean obviously they're not as flawless but the 21 and 22 jump street movies are basically quite like positive films and they're also like dumb meathead humor yeah 21 jump street in particular is really really brilliant uh 22 not as much but it's a weird line to walk where it is dumb meathead humor but also designed to be enjoyed by everybody Mm -hmm. right as opposed to being dumb meathead humor that's made for dumb meatheads which is not appealing to any other portion of the population (laughs) and this i feel like i couldn't sense i did not sense that there was a specific audience for this show except like people who like true crime but not exclusively those people either like obviously it's speaking to that audience in a particular way but not like you could obviously watch this if you don't like that stuff too. Um, it was just very open in a way that I found really refreshing without being clang. There's a lot of <laughs> humor yeah. that's kind of brutal. Yeah. Yeah, which just made it really fun to watch, I think. And also it has it has exactly the same appeal as true crime, but without kind of a certain element, obviously, of like prurience mm-hmm. to true crime and sometimes like yep documentaries can get way too into a subject which is harmful or really depressing and like obviously a lot of them about like murder and kidnap and that sort of thing and in this one it's exactly the same emotional appeal because it's all about mystery solving and finding clues and stuff but like it doesn't matter right it's dick drawing but at the same time it does matter because it's all about the stuff that when you're like 18 is really important and you're wondering if dylan's life has been ruined and that sort of thing so well and that's completely accurate reflection of teenagers as we were kind of talking about because when you're a teenager everything is so important all the time like literally everything that happens to you takes on the magnitude of this and obviously there are like actual practical consequences of this like maybe this kid can't go to college or maybe he's actually gonna have like serious legal consequences of this whatever but the people who are making the documentary they are kind of pruriently interested in what's going on but it's not on a sort of level of murder. But every single thing that happens that they're talking about, like they are into all this gossip about like who got a handjob from whom that has nothing to do with this problem. And it's because when you are that age, everything is on this like massive emotional scale that it will never be again, thank God. And I think the show is really smart about sort of poking fun at that a little bit while also not being mean to the kids yeah one of the things i liked about it a lot was with the exception of alex tromboli who is truly a little slime bag (laughs) (laughs) all of the kids are kind of assholes and some of them are like act like dylan is definitely like an asshole but none of them are presented as like horrible people they're all just kind of like your teenage and they're also they're really accurate but non-stereotypical because 
I really liked the point where they introduced the character Ming Zhang. Yeah. Because he is like, he's just this little nerd and he's really nice and clearly never said anything bad to anything. And it'd be really easy to make him the butt of other people's jokes and make him be bullied. But instead, everyone's just like, he's just a really nice kid and literally every single person in the school really likes him. And I quite liked that as a note because it's like, actually, things don't always fall along like the kind of jog nerd bullying lines that you see in every yeah. teen drama. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot too. And he'll sort of pop up like getting really hammered from time to time. Great. Yeah, I just loved it. I thought it was wonderful. It was a really pleasant surprise that I wasn't expecting. I mean, Netflix makes so much stuff. Yeah. Like, too much, way too much stuff. We've got 80 movies coming out next year. Like, that's, that's too much content. Please stop. Yeah. So, when something like this sort of rises out from the mass of just endless, you know, whatever uh it was kind of a nice surprise to binge watch surely i will binge watch it again and to see everyone talking about it on twitter it's great highly recommended yeah. um i assume anyone who's still listening has seen it because we spoiled the end but uh it was great loved it loved talking yeah. about it and thank you for persevering through our audio difficulties yes <laughs> unfortunately we had a very cool guest to talk about a cool show and then skype betrayed us yeah what can you do? These things happen. So that was that for this week. Thank you for listening. Uh, next week, we'll be doing a Halloween episode on a subject yet to be determined. It will be some sort of classic car type uh, movie. I'm goth as fuck, so I'm ready for this. Yes. I'm prepared. This is this is Gab's area. This is her specialty. So you can check on Twitter with details about that. Last year we did Carrie, which was a lot of fun. I'd never seen that before. So that will be good. In mid-November... At a date to be determined, we will have further updates. We will be discussing Philip Pullman's new novel, La Belle Sauvage, which, as surely all of you know, is the sort of companion book to his Dark Materials, the first of a new trilogy. We are both reading it in states of just agonized joy. Oh my joy. goodness, it's so good, um, it's so good. I'm attempting to force myself to read it slowly because it's so much that I don't want I was, to sort of... I was really entertained to see yesterday like Morgan tweeted something like oh I'm 80 pages in and I'm already in love and I was like let's see what's on page 80 and it was like right after the point where they'd introduced kind of a Cold War spy subplot and I was like okay. That's <laughs> not even like remotely my favourite part and it's still great. Like it's yeah. the whole thing is just <laughs> oh my god the it's too much. I'm now like 170 yeah. pages in maybe. And I like literally put it on a shelf away from me <laughs> so that I would make myself not just read the whole thing. It's superb. So read that before then. So you can listen to us talk about it. And yeah, thank you as always for listening and for persevering with this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. That's how we find new listeners. And otherwise you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com on Twitter at overinvestedpod or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.